This is Daniel Gallardo, and you're listening to the Tenkara Cast, the podcast about the simple Japanese method of fly fishing, Tenkara. In the Tenkara Cast, I'll be sharing information with you on techniques, history, gear, and philosophies, as well as Tenkara stories from anglers all over the world. This podcast is brought to you by Tenkara USA, introducing Tenkara outside of Japan since 2009. It is only possible we create content such as this podcast and all the videos that we create because of your support, so we thank you so very much for purchasing Tenkara USA rods, lines, and flies. I hope you enjoy learning more about the simple Japanese method of fly fishing, Tenkara. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tenkara Cast. Thanks so much for joining me. My name is Daniel. I'm your host, and I'm very late.、Uh, my apologies, but、uh, hopefully, better late than never.、Uh, but my apologies for not publishing the, this episode earlier. Um, I've been trying to be very consistent with a monthly podcast,、uh, and I should probably establish a date when the monthly podcast episode is going to drop.、Uh, but it's been a little over a month now, and I,、uh, this particular episode has been on my to do list, on my published list, for a few weeks actually.、Uh, and I've just not been able to get around to it.、Um, just、uh, the short story behind it、uh, we've had a couple of moves. Uh, we moved to one larger warehouse facility. I was excited to,、uh, to get there, but realized it was not going to work. And pretty quickly, within a month, we had to move,、uh, or a little over a month, we had to move a second time. So that was a little bit of a bummer, but we wanted to make sure that we get in the right facility、uh, to help fulfill orders, especially ahead of the holidays. Uh, so, we're now all set.、Uh, we just finished integrating to the new systems and totally you know, got our product received, and everything is running smoothly. So, I'm very happy about that.、Uh, very quickly, I'm going to give you a little preview of the episodes that,、uh, or the episode that we have here today, and I'm going to give you a couple of updates as well on my end.、Uh, but today, I'm going to have.、Um, An episode where I talked to Harry Barber、uh, about using Tenkara rods in salt water. And I'll kind of give a little bit more introduction to that topic in a second.、Uh, but Harry Barber, if you're a climber, you might have heard his name.、Uh, very, very famous climber from the 1970s, done a lot of free solo, you know, absolutely stunning free solo ascents. And he,、uh, he is a very dedicated fly angler.、Uh, when I visited his house,、um, Probably as many photos,、uh, there were as, as many photos of climbing as there were fishing. Uh, and uh, he's been using our rods for a number of years out on the coast of New England, catching little stripers、uh, and some big stripers with our rods. So I wanted, went there, visited him, sat down, and we talked about it. And then the second part of the episode is highlighting、uh, some of the work of nonprofits that、uh, we're excited about.、Uh, mostly I've been covering. Trout Unlimited, but I decided there would be time to、uh, talk to some of the other nonprofits that we support. And I'm very excited、uh, about the conversation that I had with Nicole Silk of the River Network.、Um, the River Network is a new organization, or、uh, it's an organization that I recently found out about. And I really wish I had known more about them years ago.、Um, I'm very excited about the work that they're doing just in terms of. Leadership in the、uh, river space, river conservation space. They do beautiful work, and Nico and I sat down to talk about what they do. 
Uh, but before I kind of get into the uh, particulars uh, of those two conversations, a um, couple little updates. So first, first of all, we have uh, talking about consistency and being uh, trying to kind of have a cadence to something. We do have a new publication that uh, we're pushing out every single month. We just started on October 10th. We have a uh, written uh, or an e-zine uh, that we're going to be publishing, and I'm very excited about it because it's a beautiful publication, and it's called Mountain. Uh, it's spelled M-O-U-N-T-E-N, and you can find that on our blog, tenkariose.com forward slash blog, or if you go to this podcast page, I'm definitely going to be putting a link to it. But what Mountain is, uh, as the name implies, it kind of has a little bit of a mountain feel to it. Uh, that's where Tenkara comes from, even though things, you know, different things might be covered. Uh, but that's the spirit that we want to capture there. And what it is, it's going to be 10 spreads. It's a free publication, by the way, uh, free, easy, and that you can download. You can, you know, read on your laptop, on your uh, iPad, and so forth. Uh, but it's going to be 10 beautiful spreads. Uh, typically about five stories, uh, beautifully illustrated uh, by our own very own artist, Jeremy Shellhorn. Uh, he's already done some terrific work for, uh, for upcoming issues. And the part of the purpose behind Mountain is to bring some of the best content that we've had over the last 10 years to the forefront. There is going to be some new content as well, uh, but partly in the first few issues where it kind of focused on bringing some of the content that maybe has been under your radar or maybe, you know, it's been 10 years that you've read about uh, something that we've written. We've covered a ton of stuff uh, in the last 10 years, and we want to bring some of the best stories, some of the best uh, information out to the forefront in this new format. Uh, Mountain 10 Spreads, it's going to come out on the 10th day of every month so the first one came out october 10th the next one is about to drop in a few days on november 10th and the very last page uh kind of uh, you know as as a lot of people you know uh enjoy with certain publications we do have our very young comic series that we are developing and that's actually called up Tenkara creek uh, it's, uh, it's a black and white uh, page where you can download and color. So if you have kids or if you enjoy coloring pages yourself, um, you can download that, print it out, you know, color it to your liking. We'd love to see that, by the way, if you, uh, you or your little ones uh, do color in the lines or outside the lines. We'd like to see that. Um, and the Up Tenkara Creek, of course, a little play on, uh, on a uh, famous phrase, Up, up Shit Creek. Uh, you know, it's not going to be something that is taken super seriously, but part of the purpose of that is to kind of share some of the cool little facets of Tenkara uh, in a, just a really fun, beautiful way. So definitely check out Mountain, a very exciting publication. The first one we had all kinds of cool stories. Uh, there was a little piece about TJ, you know, about... Um, uh, eating trout, which it doesn't really do. Uh, there was the Upton Gata Creek just kind of talks about the uh, um, where the, does the word Tenkata come from and that kind of thing. So check it out uh, and look for the next issue about to drop in a few days on the 10th. Um, in terms of other updates, uh, just a little heads up. Um, as has been customary uh, in, uh, in our company, we do not do sales. I mean, uh, we really try to keep our prices as good as we can year-round uh, with one exception we have our uh, what in the past we've been calling opt-outside sale um, 
and that's the only sale that we do uh, every year. So that's something that some of you might be expecting. Some of you may be not aware of it. Uh, and if you're hearing little clicks, click clacks, that's my dog that just walked into the room. Um, but in any case, we're going to have our sale coming up. And it's a week-long sale, so we don't want to make you sit at home. You know, on a Black Friday, we would like to actually give you an opportunity to get some very good discounts on 10 cutter rods that you can actually use on your Thanksgiving weekend if you can. Uh, so the sale is going to start on November 19th, and that's a Monday. Uh, so if you order that uh, in a lot of parts of the country, you can get it uh, within a couple of days. If you, of course, uh, expedite shipping, you can get it before uh, the Thanksgiving holiday, and it's going to run from November 19th through November 26th, uh, 26, which is Cyber Monday. So definitely keep an eye out for a set for our sale. It's going to start on the 19th of November, and a little bit differently from previous years, we're actually going to have a discounted price on all of the rods. Um, the prices are a surprise. Uh, you're gonna have to wait until the sale kind of drops. It's uh, they're really good pricing on the Tenkata rods that we produce at Tenkata USA, uh, and that includes every single rod like the Sato, the Roto, the Ito, the Hane, the Amago, and the Iwana. So they're all gonna be on sale this year. And I'm also throwing my book in the sale uh, for half off. So the book is something I just want to make sure. Anybody getting a Tenkara rod, if you're getting one for a friend of yours, get a book as well because I, um, you know, that's just a good resource for you or somebody else to have uh, with them. And I don't want to have the rods out there without good information. I want to make sure the information gets there. So I'm putting my book on sale this time as well. And of course, our dealers um, are going to be, you know, um, they have the choice, of course, to uh, match the sale, but. Um, yeah, a lot of them in previous years have participated as well. So you can check out our retailers close to you if you go to tenkariose.com forward slash dealer. You can find out where they are and go visit them, see the rods for yourself if you don't have one already. Um, so I think that's mostly what I wanted to cover. Uh, that's all the notes that I made, that I things that I wanted to touch on. So I'm going to introduce uh, the next couple of topics really quick and talk a little bit about um, my experience, especially on the first topic. So the first part of the episode today, I'm going to be talking to Harry Barber about fly fishing uh, with Tenkara rods in salt water. So Harry, I've known Harry for a few years. Uh, he is a uh, somebody that is kind of an idol of mine. Uh, he's a big name in rock climbing. He's uh, put up some of the boldest... Uh, climbs in the world actually he used to travel a ton you can find a lot of information about harry and his climbing if that's something of interest to you um but and i got to meet him through a mutual friend malcolm daly as he uh, also mentions and um one of the things that intrigued me was that harry was using our rods our tankata rods to catch fish in salt water uh specifically striper uh, striped bass and uh, he spends his time between Maine and New Hampshire. Uh, he sent me a couple of photos over the last few years of uh, catching striped uh, bass on a rod, some pretty good-sized ones including. And, you know, every year he was like, oh, yeah, you should come up. You know, there's like, you have to come on this particular tides. You know, that's when the fishing is going to be good. So I ran into Harry uh, a few months ago at an outdoor retailer here in Denver. And... Uh, here's how much of a fly angler he is, you know, devoted fly angler. He was like, he pulls up his notebook 
And he has all the good tides that he wants to fish at for the year. So he actually told me when I met with him that he plans the tides a year in advance so that he is not going to go away from Maine uh, during those weeks. Usually it's a week long, you know, when you have a full or new moon and that kind of thing. Uh, he does not leave the state. He wants to stay there for the good fishing. So I ran into him. He's like, you know, if you want to come fish and try to, you know, like your your hand on uh, saltwater tankata, uh, you should come on this day. And I was like, oh, you know, when else am I going to have a chance to fish and potentially climb with Henry Barber? So I uh, booked myself some flights. I almost canceled on that because I uh, the move that I was mentioning. Uh, but I went there, you know, brought some climbing gear along, brought my fishing gear along. We, uh, we ended up not doing any climbing because of the rain. But we had a great time uh, fishing for striped bass. And before I get any farther, I know some of you might kind of getting, you know, saying that's not Tenkara and why not. And we, Harry and I actually talk about that in our conversation. Um, but I want to kind of mention a little bit or, of where I'm coming from and a little bit my thoughts on that. I've done, a, I think, a couple of episodes of where I talk about what is Tenkara, what is not Tenkara. So Tenkara, of course, started mountains of Japan. Uh, it's this traditional Japanese method of fly fishing, primarily targeting trout uh, in the mountain streams. But as I mentioned in a conversation with Harry, uh, in the end, these are fishing rods. And, you know, we call them a tenkata rod uh, because that's what they are. And you can use them in a variety of ways. Just like a, what I always tell people, whatever you put at the end of your line is completely up to you. Uh, we typically promote more of a mountain stream fly fishing. Uh, I think a lot of you look at our website you can see very clearly where we're coming from uh we do have a lot of mountain streams we've i believe we have been very clear both in my book as well as throughout you know years of writing um about tenkara uh where i'm coming from in terms of like yeah tenkara is a it's a method of fly fishing that has its origins in japan and it is traditional and tenkara has a specific look and feel to it but on the other hand it's just a rod so in any case, our customers are using our rods in a variety of different ways. I wanted to learn how Tenkara could be used in salt water. Uh, and I learned a ton. Uh, a lot of times it didn't feel very different, uh, to be honest. I mean, I was using very heavy flies, uh, like some mineral clouser kind of heavy flies that will go down, uh, which I don't do with Tenkara, but we were keeping it pretty simple. We we're not changing flies very often. Uh, the fish were a hoot. I actually caught three striped bass, one on the surf. Uh, we were fishing early uh, morning one day in the surf. And that was one of the strongest fights I've ever had in my life. It was not a super large fish. And I'll share a photo, uh, some of the photos on this podcast page. Uh, page. And uh, not a particularly large striped bass, probably in the 17, 18 inch range but holy cow that was a strong fight uh, i've caught a fish on the uh, on the river you know right by the coast uh that was a really fun one um and i've caught caught a fish in the rocks as well so i had a really good range of experiences not a ton of fish Henry's expecting a little bit more uh for whatever reason you know we were usually a few of us fishing like three of us or so but we were not having a whole lot of luck uh, enough, you know, I caught one in each location, uh, learn a ton from it. So that's a conversation that I'm going to have with Henry. And then the second part is going to be uh, with Nicole Silk, where I talk about the river network. Oh, you know, I do have one more thing I want to mention to you. Sorry about that. Um, 
I mentioned mountain, and I think I kind of dropped a little thing in there about um, we want to bring the best writing of the last 10 years to the forefront. So a little something I want to share with you. Uh, it's not the, what I consider to be the super official anniversary for Tenkara USA, uh, but I uh, went to my files, and I wanted to look up, because I knew it was around this time, I wanted to look up the... Um, one, the actual date for uh, what the date was that I registered my business uh, when I was creating a business, Tenkara USA. And lo and behold, it's actually next week. That's going to be our 10th anniversary of starting the company. So November 11th is when I went to the, uh, um, to the uh, what do you call it, the city hall in San Francisco. That's where I lived at the time. And I picked a name, Tenkara USA, and registered it and had to do a few other things. Got the business up and legit, you know, that's uh, November 11th. So 10 years, yay. <laughs> um, the actual official anniversary that I usually consider is actually April 12th because that's when I launched uh, the company. We made a sale that first day and, I, and that kind of thing. So that was pretty exciting. Uh, but it has been 10 years since I started working on this business. And that's part of the reason Mountain is coming to existence. Uh, there's a lot of cool things that I'm planning uh, for next year. Next year, we're going to have our 10th anniversary. And that's when we're going to have the uh, Tenkara Summit on July 27th. It's not quite on our anniversary date, but um, Tenkara Summit, July 27th of 2019 here in Boulder, Colorado. And we're planning some really fun stuff. Um, so stay tuned for more information on that. But save the date. That's going to be a big one, 10th anniversary party. All right, without further, further ado, uh, let's get the conversation started with Henry Barber, where he's going to share some things about uh, tenkara, using Tenkara rods in salt water. Uh, and then we move on to the conversation with the River Network. And as always, if you have any comments, any feedback, Love to hear it uh, either through the, the podcast page on our website, tenkariosa.com forward slash podcast. Or if you can, let me make this appeal to you. If you haven't done so, can you please, please, please leave me a review in iTunes? Those reviews help a ton. I've actually heard of people finding out uh, about the podcast because it came up in some feed because of the review. So if you get it, just a quick minute, if you enjoy it, um, Give me a little review, um, and I'll be so happy for that. And I'm going to make a pledge to you after this episode. I'm going to get a cadence where I'm going to drop these episodes of the Tenkara Cast once a month. I'm going to pick a date, uh, maybe November 20th or uh, the 20th of the month. But whatever date I determine, you're going to see an episode on that day every single month without fail. That's going to be my promise for you going forward. All right, let's get the conversation started with Henry Barber. So WD-40 is a secret. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got any WD-40 on my flies, that's for sure. All right. I'm trying to be pure. <laughs> Nothing cut up pure, though. So, so Henry, I want to talk to you about tenkara in salt water. So tenkara is this method of fishing that was developed in the mountain streams of Japan. And by definition, you know, most people think of it as a mountain stream kind of fly fishing where you're fishing for trout. Some of the Japanese masters, they'll define tenkara as fishing in a mountain stream with the tenkara rod and catching trout. So, and I kind of feel like I, I kind of feel the same way, you know, tenkara is a, 
this mountain stream kind of fishing. But at the, in the end of it all, Tenkara is also a rod. It's a Tenkara rod. And what I've been doing with you the last couple of days is fishing with a Tenkara rod for stripers in salt water. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that because and I flew over here to you know to Maine you know New Hampshire because I don't know how long it's been now but several years ago you told me about the kind of fishing that you're doing which is for stripers on the coast of Maine and that really intrigued me and then you sent me a photo of a small striper and uh, I was like oh that's really cool you know it's like you know, just one way that our customers are using the rods. Um, so how did you get introduced to Tenkara? Probably the ultimate ambassador of the sport, Malcolm Daly. Yeah, he really is. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's great. He's enthusiastic. So, but I'd like to ask a question first. What does yeah. Tenkara mean? So, so we don't know exactly what Tenkara means because the, the way Tenkara is written in Japanese, they use the katakana syllabary which is usually used to describe foreign words or words that even the Japanese don't exactly know the meaning or onomatopoeias and that kind of thing. So the way it's written, tenkara, in, in katakana, we don't know the actual meaning of it. But there's a bunch of different theories for what tenkara actually means. And there's one, my favorite story is that in Japan, there's a guy fishing a mountain stream and he's catching fish after fish. And a passerby goes by and he's like, how could you be catching fish after fish without ever having to stop to change your bait? And this mountain stream angler responds, is like, well, you see at the end of my line here, I have this fly. I used it, you know, it's an imitation of a fly and I used it some thread and feathers and I wrapped them around a hook and I tied a fly and I cast it and the fish sees the fly coming from heaven, and he takes it. So in Japanese, from heaven is ten kara. Ten means heaven, kara means from. So my favorite story goes that, you know, this guy casts, the fish sees the fly coming from heaven, and the fish takes it. But we don't know exactly what it means. Um, once in a while, you'll see a restaurant called ten kara in Japan, because the food is from heaven. But yeah, that's as much as we know about that. Well, that fits perfectly with what I have to say because I feel like when I put that fly out there, I'm from heaven. I'm not trying to be funny. It's not that much about that. It's more about putting these bits of feathers and fur on a hook and knowing where to go to catch. And that's, that's the thing about saltwater fishing. The thing about saltwater fishing is, is that the ocean is a lot bigger than a stream and so you need to hunt and you need to have a lot of experience over time to figure out what it is that will make the fish respond and that's what I like about it and I, I can't do it in a boat, I have to do it walking. I've always done it walking, I, I fish from a boat you know, 10% 10, 10 of the time in the tropics or <clears throat> in the cold water. And ultimately, when you're walking, you have to get close to a fish. And if you're, if you're 70 feet away, which is generous, 
those fly fishers would say this massive 60, 70 foot cast. Well, that's generous, but where do the fish track it? And the fish track it somewhere out there 30 or 40 feet and they strike it somewhere out there around 20 to 30 feet. And the thing that interested me about Tenkara is that I'm a minimalist as a climber, which you can fill in later, but I like to get close to the fish. I like to wet wade, I like to swim to the right edge of a trough or a, or a seam and you use a lot of the same ideas you do in trout fishing, trying to get a seam and an eddy and figuring out where the fish are holding and where they're going to rise. And these fish don't hold and arise like a trout, but they, they come there to ambush. And so you need to figure out where they're going to be at a certain time in the tide because that water's always changing. It's not like a river at a constant um, pace. You know, it's more like a dam that releases tailwaters that release the water at different stages and you have to figure out what kind of fly you're going to put on and where you're going to fish in the river. I like that analogy at Tenkara you say about the, the, the feathers on the fly sent from heaven because you're like thinking, I'm thinking, excuse me, about where... I need to go to get close enough to the fish. And there's nothing better than being close enough to the fish. So that's kind of why I started to think about catching stripers on a fly. And I've only caught a 20 inch striper. I've caught a number of stripers on a fly, but I've only caught a maximum 20, 21 inch fish so far. On Tenkara. So, on Tenkara. So now it's time to figure out what the rod, what kind of rod you need to catch the fish. But it's not going to be a longer cast and a bigger reel with a bigger drag. It's going to be like, where can I catch the fish that I normally catch, one that I like to catch? I, I like to catch big stripers, but it happens once in a while. So my break a rod, that's fine. But I know in June I'm going to catch mackerel, I'm going to catch shad, I'm going to catch brown trout, saltwater, and I'm going to catch stripers. And I might catch an early run of uh, small snapper bluefish. I know I can catch those on Tenkara. So it's more a matter of taking everything I've learned from a long rod, fly fishing, to how can I go to the right places and fortunately, most of the right places are close. Close casting places. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, some of those close casting places are big fish places. Well, so we'll so, have to see what happens. We'll know, have to see what happens. <laughs> yeah. But I like the fact that, and I should disclose here that I'm not a saltwater guy at all. I grew up close to the coast in Brazil. Um, and my dad used to do a lot of surf fishing, a lot of saltwater fishing, and I used to go surfing. So I, I never really learned 
the nuances of fly fishing in salt water. And, I, and I've been learning a ton from you in the last couple of days. So I want to disclose that because this episode and the podcast is also about me learning more about how to fish within kind of salt water. But, but I should mention that I appreciate the fact that you didn't dismiss Tenkara because a lot of people, if they're fishing salt water, if they're catching larger fish species, they will immediately look at the limitations of Tenkara. And it doesn't seem to me like you focused on the limitations. It seemed to me like you focused on maybe the fun of it or the new challenge. So what, why is it that you didn't dismiss it as something that's not ideal for, for what you do? Because you, how long have you been fly fishing now with, uh, with a fly rod here on the coast of Maine? And uh, over 30 years. I've been fishing over 30 years with a fly rod. Um, but I like to fish the rod that's appropriate with the season. So I fish a six weight in June, I fish an eight weight most of the year, and then I fish a nine weight um, when we're fishing the surf and the rocks later in the season. Either when the waves are bigger, the fish might be bigger. And I, I don't know, I fish, I fish more and more just a seven or an eight weight, but mainly an eight weight. So that, that's what I, it's just easiest to do. But what's really interesting is that when I got in, into Tenkara a couple of years ago, I worried about how big a fish I'd catch. And now I'm really more worried about, not worried, excuse me, now I'm more interested in, in how the rod performs like a reel because the rod bends so much that the rod fights the fish instead of the reel and people put so much emphasis on the reel and the drag and all these different things I caught a couple of fish on Tenkara and then I went back to a six weight I had with a, a reel with no drag a loop reel with no drag actually and I had to palm the reel to catch the fish. And I realized that somewhere in there, I have to trust the rod more to do the work than the reel. And that made it really, this, this happened, because this was three years ago. That's, that's the first time I caught, two years ago, excuse me, the first time I caught stripers on a Tenkara were two years ago. And uh, it occurred to me that we hear about the rod, we hear about the reel, and we hear about all this stuff, but really simply, the rod is doing some really interesting things and fighting the fish. So I started thinking about it differently. And now I'm not so worried about how big the fish is. I'm more interested in the type of water I catch the fish in. And if I catch the fish in foam on big rocks, I have a chance of landing it. I have to be more cunning with the waves. If I catch the fish in a stream, I have to catch it to a, in a place where I can be close to it, but I need to back, back it out. I have to use the current to my advantage, not the fish's advantage. It's a completely different way of thinking. It's so interesting. And the way I know I can catch a big fish on Tenkara, I'm positive. Big. Like 30, 40 inches. He's in the float tube. 
And that's the place I'm really interested in pursuing. And the problem, the only problem with it is, is that I can only do it in June in where I live in Maine, uh, mainly because boat traffic and because the fish are on the surface, they're hitting cinder worms, they're hitting um, different kinds of eels and things like that. They're on the surface, they're not down deep. The water's cold, they're up top. As the season goes on, the water gets warmer, the fish go deeper, and you need, you know, you need to get deeper to them. And uh, it's a June thing, but I'm positive you can get your big striper. So let's, uh, let's backtrack a little bit. Let's talk about, if you can, can you paint a picture for our listeners? What kinds of waters have we fished the last couple of days? Um, because I, you know, like, of course, like when we talk about salt water, uh, people might be wondering, okay, what kind of salt, surf, or what is it? Can you describe a little bit of a picture of what kind of, kinds of waters we fish? Because we fish a lot of, a big variety of waters, in my opinion. Um, you know, kind of ran the gamut, really. Oh, we fish three, we have four main types of water. We have rivers, where you read seams and rips and eddies. We have surf, where you have to read the beach contour and the surf and how the current is coming out or flowing on the waves breaking, maybe on the stream. We fish rocks, which is a completely different dynamic in a number of ways because of where the fish hold is in really horrible water. I mean, if you think you're going to die, the fish love it. <laughs> yes, I can but, attest to that. But it has a lot of foam, and the take is different. Um, the flies are different. Everything's different. And then we fish. The one area we didn't fish is in the flats, and the flats is like your classic bone fishing type situation. And... Um, we were hoping to fish that, but we're not going to get to because we we don't we had a bad storm move in and we had bad light for the last two days of our trip. But in the flats fishing, it's on the one hand it's perfect for tankara because if you can see a fish seventy feet away, it's going to take between thirty and forty five feet. So if you can cast it 30 feet, you just have to wait for them to get there and twitch it. And it's not a strip strip, it's a twitch because it's the puff of sand that tantalizes the fish. It's a baby flounder, it's a crab burrow, burrowing in, it's a sand lance burrowing, like I showed you the other day, them burying themselves into the sand. So it's the puff puff, that it's perfect twitch. And uh, it's exciting. And one thing that's kind of exciting about it is, is that, to me, is, is that if you see a bigger fish with Tenkara, you would draw the rod to the side. And they're like bowling pins. The fish come at you like bowling pins. So if you draw that rod to the side, you might get a second or third largest fish back two or three rows. So I'm sorry we didn't get to do that, but it's very exciting. And 
the most exciting thing for me is whether we're going to have a catastrophic event because when those fish are in 8 to 14, 18, 20 inches of water, they fight a lot harder than they do when they're in 6 to 8 feet of water. So it's going to be interesting how I've never caught a fish. I've caught a fish in all the things, all the examples I explained, but not on the flats and not in a float tube. And that's the float tube is one I'm going to be most excited about next year. So why, you know, since you have so much experience using a, what I'll call a Western fly rod with a reel, why would you at this point um, be so willing to fish with Encada as well um, instead of just sticking with the rod and reel? Do you see some advantages? Do you, uh, what do you like about it? Why, why is it appealing to you? And Henry is lighting a cigar again. The cigar went off, so uh, just a little play-by-play -play yeah. description here. Well, I think the thing <laughs> that's most exciting is, is that what I do well is I get close to the fish. So when I'm on the rocks, I could be like six or eight feet from the fish doing a simple roll cast in one minute. Here's one strip, rod tip up, kind of nymphing, letting the rod tip go out, paying out line, letting the fly pull with the current and strip, strip like a streamer. So that motion with a nine foot, eight weight fly rod is like classic what you might do with a 10 to 14 foot Tinkara rod. And the, the un, unfortunately, or fortunately, the hits are different. The hits are radically different. You could be a soft touch on a big fish to a bang on a short, on a small fish or a shorter fish. And you have to translate that to Tenkara, which isn't my, my interest actually, but it, it's radically different. So it's very interesting and it, it tells me I should maybe switch to from a small bait fish like a like a um, bunker, we call them um, um, peanut bunker, in the fall or sand eel to a crab because a crab swims more like a tenkara sweep of the rod than a strip, 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 which you can't do with a tenkara rod. You're twitching it aside. So it's kind of learning something new. And that's what's really interesting. But... What's more interesting even is that when you're closer to the fish, you might see it. When you're with a long rod, I mean, if I cast 60 or 70 feet, which is not bragging, it's just you're off, you're up higher on rocks or you take a favorable, favorable position on the sandbar, you're, you're searching with the rod. And when you're with Tenkara, you're searching with your eyes to get closer to that place and that's what I've been doing all along but the intimacy is more important because you need to be closer because you're not going to make a 70 foot cast with a 10 car or have to have to retrieve the rod have to have to retrieve the line it's very interesting to to it's not minimalist about equipment it's more 
discipline about uh, honing your skills to what you already know. That's what's really cool about it. Now, have you found the limitations of Tenkara? I mean, these are self-imposed limitations. You know, you can't all of a sudden cast 60 feet when you're out or you can't pay out line when you catch a fish. Have you found those limitations to be very limiting? <laughs> or have you found to be at a big disadvantage when you use your Tenkara rod in salt water? Well, I find two things. I find... Number one, there's certain places that I'm not going to go fish because I've known them for 20 or 30 years and I don't think I can reach where I want to go. And I, I know I don't have to change my attitude about that because I know where the fish are going to be. But the converse is, is really cool is when you're in the surf and you're in rock situations, you gotta get close to them. And it's full metal jacket. You are in it, you are, you are completely enveloped with water. I mean, the other day I got pasted a number of times and uh, you gotta gauge your timing with the waves and everything else. And, but I see guys out there with spay rods doing the same things. They're getting they're out there getting blasted, putting the line out there a hundred feet, and the fish are fifteen to eighteen feet from them. They're not that far away. But people like that. I like that. I like you know. It's like it's like I I don't wade with waders. I wade with shorts, and I can wade until October as long as the air temp and the wind isn't too high. But the water is fine. It's worse in May and June. So I like getting close to the fish. That's the whole thing. I mean, if you were a hunter and you were going after a specific species of animal with a bow, you would get close to the animal and you'd do everything you could. So that's kind of really appealing. Well, and I should and say... And you don't nymph. You don't nymph. People catch a lot of fish nymphing. Mm. They don't, you don't nymph from 70 feet away. You nymph in a range from, from your body, out four feet maybe, to you know 12 or 18 or 20 feet away. And you catch big fish. And you catch a nice 20 inch trout in fast water and it's pretty exciting. These fish are, they're maybe not even as exciting as those fish, but they're, it's how you can connect with them. It's not like connect. And it's not like want to have a relationship with them. <laughs> I just want to connect. That means the hook gets hooked. Mm -hmm. And you want to feel the tug. And, and I want to feel the tug. Yeah. And I should describe my experience. So the last couple of days we we have fished. Uh, we started off in a river uh, that was right in the mouth of a of a river going into the ocean, and that was kind of slow. Like you were using a reel. Um, your friend Larry was also using a rod and reel. I was using Tenkara. We kind of had the same fly. None of us had any luck on the river. So we decided to move down to the to the surf where the river met the, the, the ocean. And over there, we, we saw a couple of bait balls and you hooked into one fish. Um, I it was the one I was next to you. I didn't hook into any fish there. Um, 
but then from there the next day we uh oh actually from there we moved to the rocks and in the rocks you also had your rod and reel so the larry and i think each one of each one of us caught one fish so that was my first striper ever um, i have done a little bit of saltwater fishing before visiting my family in brazil um, and it just it showed me this hole where the waves would kind of come in over the rocks and as soon as the water came in he told me to cast the water the fly into where the water's coming in and over the rocks let the fly sink with the current and just drive kind of have a wave drive mm -hmm. the fly down yes in foam by the way in foam mm -hmm. and i need to correct you oh, okay mm -hmm. i did not catch a fish and for that you owe me dinner <laughs> oh you didn't catch a fish on the i showed you, you where I showed you where to catch the fish. Oh, yeah. Okay. I caught the fish <laughs> in the surf at the mouth, yeah. which is much harder, by the way. But I did not catch a fish in that hole. In the rocks, yeah. And that might cost you, you know, maybe a bottle of Dom Perignon or a really good oh, cigar. Oh, damn. I, uh, I, I don't know if I signed to that contract earlier. <laughs> well, uh, I will get you a shot of whiskey <laughs> tomorrow. But, you know, what I noticed that was interesting in that first day... Was that even though you guys had your run in Rio and I had Tenkara, we were all fishing the same way. Um, I don't think I ever saw you casting more than probably 30 feet. Um, maybe one or two casts in the river, but we really fished in a very similar way. And then I hooked into my fish and it was a great fight. It was a very, very strong fish. And the next day we started at 5 a.m. We fished the surf to begin with. And you had your rod and reel, but you were fishing kind of like Tenkara. And then you hooked into a fish and you kind of showed me where to cast my fly. And I immediately hooked into one. So we were double hooked. I actually had to get past your line. I don't know if you remember that. But yep. uh, you were fighting your fish and I had to. I was into the waves farther up, up into the ocean from you. And I had to kind of walk past. But, and then we, I think we hooked another fish a little bit later. Uh, oh, and you know, into another river, but you always felt like we were fishing the same way. You never felt like I was watching you fishing with a rod and reel. I, um, did you feel kind of the same way that you, you could have been doing what you were doing with a with a tinkata rod, essentially? Mm, not exactly. I felt where I hooked the fish. Mm -hmm was in the same zone as the Tenkara rod, for sure. But at the mouth of the one river, the first place you talked about, mm -hmm. um, I felt like I could see fish out there, bait fish, bait balls, and I was casting, I was searching with the rod. So now it's a, the difference is there was two other guys in the water there. Yeah, that's trying right. to mm -hmm. cast with spinning mm -hmm. sand eels like eight inches long, and they weren't catching anything. But I could see fish. The thing is, is you gotta connect with the environment, and that's what Tenkara does. And where I hooked the fish was in Tenkara range, but I don't know where I don't know where the fish was. That's what's interesting to me now. What's interesting to me is 
since I know so much about the range between 60 and 40 or 70 and 40 or 60 and 30 feet, where does the fish hit the fly? And I know they, I know they hit it. They don't hit it seven. I mean, the number of times they hit it at your maximum cast is less than three or four or five percent. Whether it's 50, 60, 70 feet, doesn't matter. But where they hit it is really interesting. And I agree with you for sure that the fly, the fish hit in Tenkara range. But then it's a matter of how, how fast does the fly get down to the, where they are? And what do you do that's going to make a difference? And the other day on the rocks, I hit, I caught one fish on a fly rod. I lost the fish on a fly rod. And I caught three fish on Tenkara. Bing, bang, boom. And those fish, the way they were hooked, led me to, to new ideas about the kind of fly I would use. I'd use more of a crab pattern um, coming up the face of this edge, this this but this buttress or this rock groin. That's what's interesting to me is those fish have been there forever. I've fished 20 and 30 and 40 feet past those fish forever for 30 years. I know where they are now because I know, because now I know where I hooked them. I hooked them always with four feet of fly line outside my nine foot rod. And a nine-foot rod shorter than Tenkara. So it's really interesting the, how your perspective changes. Now it's a matter of how does your retrieve change? Because I'm going to get it out there. I'm going to let the water sweep the, the line. You can't, thing you can't do, it doesn't matter if it's Tenkara or anything else, you can't sweep bait fish against the pull of the surge. You can't. Because the fish... That's not how they swim. That's not how they swim. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let your Tankara uh, presentation sweep the way that it would. The same way, the same way as you might mend your line or, cat, or position your body with a fly line to make the dry fly drift without dragging on the current and causing a wake. You have to do the same thing in vicious water. Because that crab or that bait fish that's stunned is being pulled by the surge of the wave. And let the, let the current do the work and how you hold your rod, connect with the fish, make that a solid connection. And, and uh, I'm, I'm not really actually sure what will happen, but I am sure that I'll learn a lot more about fishing from fishing Tenkara, because I learned a lot more about fishing a conventional fly rod like a nymph in surges of waves against rocks mm -hmm. and in holes. Mm -hmm. I showed you the other day, we went back, I pulled you back to the river and we watched the sand lances dive into the sand. I said, that's what those fish are keying into. And we watched hundreds of them. And you guys couldn't see them at first because they were like mirages. Oh, totally. They was like so weird yeah. to have these things. You'd see like 12 or 20 or 30 and all of a sudden they would disappear. 
What do you call them again? Sand eels? Sand eels and yeah. sand lances, yeah. But that's, that's about the fly. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do with a rod and a fly? Should you have a light fly on? Is the hook going to go down and dig the, dig the sand? Or should I have a clouser on and have that thing dive into the sand and really puff it when you pull it? And what do you do with a strip on a fly rod versus a twitch or a pull with a tenkara that's really compelling to the fish? And I believe that if you do, I believe that if you do anything besides chunk bait or spin cast, you're going to learn a lot more about the fish. Because the fit, I can show you how the fish react. And the reason I can show you that is because I can't see out 70 feet, but I can see out 20, 25 feet. Tell me about the flies, because, uh, so you're, of course, we're using completely different flies. And, and by the way, I'm going to post some photos of the flies on tenkariose.com forward slash podcast on the page for this episode. Um, but your approach to the fly selection struck me as uh, not being too far from the Tenkara approach, as I'll call it, because you don't seem to be obsessing over a ton of patterns. You know, you seem to have some few go-to, maybe a couple of colors. Tell me about the flies that uh, you use with your Tenkara rod, or with your rod and reel, which are the same flies, by the way. (laughs) Uh, But tell me about the flies. How How did you arrive at those flies, and what kind of flies are you... Well, I don't need. I didn't want to change my. I didn't want to change my fly selection with Tenkara because I trust my flies, and my flies are different than what you buy in a store. And it's taken a long time to translate the flies that you buy in a store to what you actually see and experience in the fishing conditions. And um, fortunately, the rods that I, the rod that I use, the Yamama, casts this same weighted clouser fly, the same as fly rod does. It's fine. It, I, I don't end up with a messy cast. It just goes out straight. Works fine. So. What's really important, again, is trying to get close to the fish. And I want to do some certain things with the fish that people don't really maybe think about as much. I mean, the only place that people have really obsessed about it is with permit bonefish and tarpon. And they have a million different colors. And and mainly the gotcha that catches bonefish and some unique patterns here or there and permit with crabs and etc. But what's really interesting about the flies is that you have to think about, I think about the fly more with Tenkara because I know black works a lot in whitewater and foam. And you don't see a lot of black striper flies in fly shops. And I've been using them for years. I use black and purple and black and green. 
and black black with gold uh, crystal flash in it. And what's interesting about that, I think, with Tenkara, is I've been catching fish on these things for a long time, and people are always amazed when I put them on. But the reason they work is because they're a silhouette in white foam. And the thing about Tenkara is, is that in order to in order to cause movement with the fly, you can't strip straight to the fly, which is how we hook up on a fly rod. And we let that fly swing in the current. With Tenkara, you move the fly rod back and twitch it, back and forth and twitch it, and back and forth twitch it. So it's swinging with the current to the eddy line or the dead point of new current. And when you're doing that, that fly is kind of rising because you don't have an intermediate or a fast sink line like you would with a fly rod. And so it's seeing that silhouette. It's very interesting. I think it's seeing that silhouette. It's tracking that silhouette, especially when it comes up. I mean, I caught three fish the other day within. I saw them all, six to 12 inches in the wall. Mm. And they were, all, they were all coming up. And they thought that, those fish thought that they were going to miss that black fly. They struck it they really struck hard. It. <laughs> yeah, almost in the same place every time. So it's very interesting to observe something new that you knew worked for a long time, but you didn't really know why it worked. And again, it's just getting closer to the, to me, it's just getting closer to the, you know, thing that you want to catch. Tell me about your rig. Uh, what What is your, tell me about your rod, your line, and your leader, whatever you're using. Uh, can you describe that? I don't know. I have the faintest is... idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you tell me? Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> you got the idea because you got to set up orange, your line. What's that orange stuff? All right. So, okay. So, Harry <laughs> is using a 12-foot Yamame. So, that's his rod. But and he's using a few feet of the level line, the orange level line, uh, which is what I was actually using entirely as my line. But like, what was that like? Maybe seven feet of the orange line? You're right. Yeah, I would guess seven or eight feet. Seven or eight feet, and then what? Like five. Four, four feet of the intermediate sink. Four feet of intermediate sinking line, and what kind of line is that? Like, is it a fly it's a, line? like a intermediate sinking fly line? Yeah, like mm -hmm. you would use for an eight weight rod. And then did you have some kind of like leader material at the yeah, end of that? Put leader on there, it's five or six feet. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to make a, le a line a foot or two longer than recommended for the rod length. Or then the rod length, because I recommend longer lines, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, longer than the longer, longer than, than the, the rod. rod length, yeah. And I'll describe what well, I use. certainly longer than the rod length. Definitely, yeah, which I think is the way to go, too. So I used, you know, and this being not my first time, but almost my first time fly fishing salt, I decided to bring my Ito, uh, you know, which is the 13 to 14 feet, 7 inch rod. It's a softer rod. And at the end of that, I had roughly 20, 18 feet of uh, 4.5 level line. And then at the end of that, I used 4 feet of... Did you give me a 12-pound test liter material? Yeah. 
So 12 pound test leader, because there's rocks, there's a lot of abrasion, and then my fly. So of course I did not want to use a very thin tippet at the end. And uh, so that was the setups that we are both using, by the way. Um, so it kind of goes to show you that there's different approaches and you know, we caught similar numbers of fish. You caught a little bit more fish than I did, but I'll attribute that to your 30 years of saltwater experience. So. <laughs> well, I haven't caught more fish than you on this trip on Tenkara. No, that's true. Yeah. No, no, but no. Similar way. numbers of fish yeah. on uh, overall. So that's kind of like the setup. I think people sometimes get really caught up on what kind of setup to use and what kind of rig. Um, my recommendation just be go for a very long rod. So I'm trying to convince Heron to give the Amago a shot. So I brought him an Amago that uh, maybe tomorrow he'll use. I think it'll be a good rod, 13 and a half feet. Um, but of course, you know, he's getting very close to the fish. So that's... Uh, we're going to be very close to the fish tomorrow. Perfect. You're so, going to be frightened, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still hoping to frighten you. All right, so now I have to ask this, Henry. So with you being a famous rock climber, and uh, do you see parallels between the, your climbing, maybe your style of climbing particularly, which is very unique, uh, and Tenkara? Yeah, but I don't see parallels between most people's climbing style and Tenkara. So Absolutely. I'd like to focus on that first. Yeah, because I think, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> I, I think most people's climbing style is more... Let's just say in the 1980s, it was all about the beat BMW 320 and 635, 633 CSI or whatever. They, and it was about how hard the climb was. And now it's about how hard the climb is. And it's not really about how you do the climb. And, you know, the thing about climbing is, is that it's really about how you do the climb. And people don't really understand that. These guys that are super alpinists are so confident to climb nine and 10 and 12,000 foot routes on 7,000 meter peaks with super lightweight gear, are confident in their fitness, are confident in all of their experience, are confident in their equipment, you know, their, their partner's equipment. And they go up there and they do these things super fast and they know when they're getting sick and they know when they're maxed and they know when they have to be safe and they don't rely on more equipment ever ever to do those things and in my climbing i like to do more with less so i would climb without shoes i i never use cams i don't use a harness i have confidence it's not important i don't I think you should wear a harness. I think you should use cams. I just don't. And I found that by limiting myself, I got to climb in a lot more countries around the world because I took what I climbed with every day. And when you use your same equipment every day and it fits underneath the seat or in the overhead bin of the plane, you're gonna to get to go do it. If you go on a business trip, you're going climbing. If you're going to carry 50 pounds of shit, you're not going climbing. 
And uh, that's the big difference. And I, um, I enjoy, I've enjoyed my life in climbing. I've enjoyed my life in fishing. But I want to go with the least amount of stuff and accomplish the most. And I'm still catching more fish and I'm still climbing more places than most people. And I'm not catching the biggest fish and I'm not catching the most fish all the time and I'm not climbing the hardest things for sure. But it's important to like have a marriage between your lifestyle or simple fun. You know, how, it, it, the more complicated you... I, I, own, I own 10 freaking windsurfers and I haven't windsurfed in 15 years because I gained weight I never had the right sails, I never had the right skegs, I never had this, I never had that. And things weigh a ton, you have to stick them up on the top of your car. And you soon outface your wife or your girlfriend or whatever because they don't want to deal with all the crap. So now we have kiteboarding. How wonderful is that? Awesome, by the way. Simple. A board and a kite. Not a mast, not a boom, not a skeg. Not a dagger board, not, all, not the harness, none, forget it. Simple. And to me, the more, I, the more I simplified my climbing, the more I did. And in fishing, it's kind of the same. And uh, I'm not a great fisherman, but I do know the environment that I fish in. And well, I think that makes you a great fisherman, by the way. It's <laughs> back to the fur. I, uh, well, I'm not a you're fisherman. very much in tune with your environment and how to get fish to react to your fly. So I, uh, you're being humble on that side. <laughs> well, I'm not a great fisherman. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm not really a great fisherman, but it's I live a gratifying life. You have fun with it. I think you said simple fun. I'm productive. productive. I'm productive. I'm gonna go out. You know, I don't want to go out and just wave a rod around in the air and smoke a cigar and, you know, have a glass of really great scotch at the end of an afternoon session of fishing. I want to get up at 4 or 5 a.m. I want to charge. I want to be at work by 8. And I want to have caught fish. Which is almost what we're doing tomorrow. Pretty much every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. So tell me... Or well, the tell problem me. is that June it's earlier and... September, it's later, so yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Who's this gentleman's fly fishing? <laughs> 6 a.m. start tomorrow, so that's not too bad. So what advice, what tips would you get, give somebody who's interested in fishing with a tenkata rod in salt water? I would pick six flies. You can pick whatever you want and go figure out how to get close to the fish. Simple as that. Whatever you want for flies. Whatever I mean, you want for flies. Would you have some suggestions for flies? Yeah, I would. I would have two clousers. Mm -hmm. I would have, no. I would. I would have three clousers. I would have a black one. I would have a full-bodied white one with some kind of yellow and chartreuse and a black back, and I'd have a really, really thin, skinny like you'd use for redfish or bonefish, like inch and a half to two inches, two and a half inches long, but really sparse. Any particular because color for that one? 
white and chartreuse and brown, but something really subtle colors. Don't don't go for these big flashy chartreuses. I find that in the color, the water, if it's bright, you need to have, I use grays and olives and things. I mean, I could go on because it's like eight flies or 10 flies or 12 flies, but don't buy, don't just go with what's in the store. Get something that is counterintuitive. So the rule of thumbs that I've gotten from you in the last couple of days have been, or that's just what I got, of course, from my very limited experience. But I've only used two flies. You've given me a few, but I've only used two of those at your suggestion. And when we were fishing the rocks, it was a black, mostly black fly. When we were fishing the surf, but that's predicated on the white water, not the rocks. On the white water that were on the rocks. Okay, yeah. God, I didn't get that part earlier. So white water over the rocks is a black fly. You know, a little bit of silhouette. Although when we were fishing the surf. Uh, Primarily like a light color, white, whitish fly. But in big surf, mm -hmm. a lot of white water, black fly. Okay. Mm -hmm. I use a lot of olive mm -hmm. and gray mm -hmm. with some glints of green or gold crystal flash. But I try not to make the fly white in chartreuse because the fish miss it mm -hmm. in the white water. So the, but the pattern and the size were the same. Uh, what kind of size hook was but that? The, ones and twos okay but it's easier to cast a one mm -hmm. with a with a tankara mm -hmm. um and generally if i'm wanting to catch a you know 30 or 40 inch fish i'm gonna fish a three out four out hook okay mm -hmm. but i don't think we're gonna yeah catch fish i'm, I'm not tankara. going after those <laughs> so but, but it makes but i didn't finish the other three flies so the other Sorry. three flies are like a deceiver, the one that worked the other day was a white deceiver with a blue back. This 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 mimics uh, at this time of year it mimics a peanut bunker, but at different times of year, blue in a blue and black back is a silhouette against the foam. And I actually don't think it's a good idea to match the hatch because when we have, when you're when you're casting to hatch in trout, you're having one and two and forty and sixty and a hundred flies <laughs> emerging to the surface and floating on the surface, and the trout pick them up. When you're when you're casting to peanut bunker and sand eel swarms, you're casting to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bait fish. So if you have something that's slightly larger, like imagine a mackerel in amongst a bunch of sand eels or a mackerel in amongst a bunch of peanut bunker, the bigger fish will key up into that. So don't think about it as matching the hatch. Think about it as being just a teeny bit larger. Or Which is actually how I approach my fly fishing with Tankata yeah. too. It's, uh, yeah, I, a lot of people, I have a funny story, by the way. So one time, I had just moved to Colorado, and my neighbor, Alan, had hired a fly fishing guide, a very famous fly fishing guide. And we went to the Colorado River. And we get there, and my neighbor told the guy that I was going to be using Tenkata. He was very skeptic to begin with. And he was like, oh, I'm not sure if that's going to work here. So we get to the water, I set up my line. 
And my rule of thumb is actually just start using whatever fly you have at the end of your line. That's my first rule. You know, I don't want to spend time switching flies in the beginning of the day because I'm not sure if that fly is going to work or not. So it's might as well start with what I have. Well, I hope you took off that Griffith's gnat before you went striper fishing. Uh, yeah, I did actually. I set up a new line because <laughs> that was my saltwater setup. So yeah, I broke my rule of thumb. <laughs> it's a rule of thumb because you know it's uh, thumbs are meant to be broken. So, <laughs> um, so, but we get to the water. I set up my line. I pulled the line out, and I showed the guide uh, this fly that I have at the end of the line. And it was a very large fly, size eight hook. You know, think out a style fly, uh, reverse hackle fly. And, you know, I asked the guy, do you think this fly is going to work okay here? And he looks at me and he's very quizzical. And he's like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know much about Tenkara, but this is a small fly fishery. We're usually using size 18s or 22s. And I was like, okay, you know, but I'll just start with this and see how it goes. So I go a little bit upstream and the guy and my neighbor is setting up the rod and reel. And I give three casts and I catch my first fish. 16 inch brown trout, I show it to them. And I look at them, they're still sitting out there rod and reel. Release the fish, I go a little bit upstream from there, just a few feet, catch my second fish. And I look back, they're still sitting out there rod and reel. And uh, kind of show it to them really quickly, but release it. A little bit later, when they're done sitting out there rod and reel, my neighbor came to me, he told me that the guy turned to him as soon as I walked upstream. He's like, that poor guy, he's not going to catch a single fish today because this fly is the size of a hummingbird. <laughs> so, you know, it kind of, but my theory is always that, you know, the fish are always looking for something a little bit bigger. I mean, if you're trying to find a lot of food, you don't want to get just a bunch of little things. You just want to get a little bit bigger piece of meat. So I think that rule kind of applies well here. Well, well first, first of all, you're fishing to train fish oftentimes in a trout stream, and that's that's why I like the salt because the fish are moving around all the time. They're not trained except in the places that we don't go because you haven't seen anybody fishing. That's true. <laughs> we have to go to places that, you know, they're not thrashing the water with these huge plugs and, you know, cut bait, dead mackerel and stuff like that. But I think fish do want to see something slightly different. And they're... If there's a lot of them, they're competing. And if they see something compelling, you see it when you look at bonefish and you cast to a bonefish 70 feet away, you cast to a bonefish 60 feet, bonefish are 70 feet away, gentle cast, and you puff that fly, that gotcha, whatever, you can see them accelerate. And you better be real clear that if you can cast to the side a little bit where that bigger bonefish are in the, in the back, you might have a chance at them. But if you're in the point of that bowling ball formation of or bowling pin formation, those little guys are going to get it every time. And you got to do something different. And we got too much of this matching the hatch business and size 8 and 10 and 12 and 14 and 16 flies and th it's different in the salt it's absolutely different there's no question so maybe one last question for you so in Tenkara you know like over the last eight years I carry essentially one pattern 
there's three different sizes that I carry, size eight, uh, 18, a size 12, and a size 8. Most of the time I'm using a size 8, actually, kind of a large hook. Um, but it's almost one fly. I mean, a couple of different colors, maybe. I only have four flies in my box that I fill my box with. Sound Japanese Tinkata fishermen, and this is mountain streams, completely different environment. They're using one fly pattern regardless. You know, one Same color, same size, same shape. Do you think you could successfully catch enough fish to keep you happy in salt water with one fly? Stripers? Yeah. I think if you had one fly in June, and one fly in July, and one fly in August, and one fly in September, or two, be... or two, mm-hmm. two in June, and two in July, and two in August, and two in September. Would that be dark and light? No, because in June I would fish very skinny flies, very sparse, very thin, but mainly white and chartreuse with olive or something. And it would depend on where I was fishing, and I definitely would want a black fly for the rocks. So... But I want to catch mackerel, shad, stripers, snapper blues, and brown trout. Same fly. Same fly. And then when I go on the rocks or whitewater, I want that much darker fly. And I wouldn't have to be black. <clears throat> but definitely dark olive and gray. And then in, in July, I want that to be a little bit bigger. But definitely in August and September, I want them to be bigger. I want them to be four and six inches. I want them to be fuller bodied. And I want to have that same sand eel, something black, and that bait fish. I mean, I'll just give you an example. This spring, when I was coming out of this one river, I saw a fish I hadn't seen before. It was a, it was a herring. But it was really scrawny. It was about five to six inches long, which I was really surprised because it was a mid mid June, and uh, it was white, little little lavendery, pinky, greeny, blue black. And I tied up a bunch of flies that I've never tied before. They were four and a half to five inches long, clousers. And we never changed the fly for the next three weeks. Never. Not there, not a hundred miles away in up in the sheepskut and the Kennebec rivers. Hmm. And uh, I've never have never used that combination of colors before, but it seemed to satisfy, to answer your question, it seemed to satisfy the black side and the light white side. So if I had to, now if I had to change, I will have gone all the way from June to August using the same fly all the time. Hmm. And to to your point, that would have been my one fly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I caught more fish consistently for three tides, Mm -hmm. June, July, and August. Nice. 
Yeah, and I should answer, I'm assuming some of the listeners are kind of asking a couple of questions. Um, one of them will be, how do you cast, you know, those heavy flies? And I'll, I'll answer that with Tenkara, I had no problem. I'm using the Ito, and I'm actually doing pretty much a Tenkara cast, you know, just overhead. And the only difference is that I'm making sure that my back cast is, I'm really feeling the rod loading on the back cast. So the fly stretches out behind me, and then I... The rod essentially slings the fly forward, um, maybe a little bit more open, but it was really not a very different cast because I, you know, sometimes like when I was fishing a surf, I would let the waves kind of carry the fly behind me a little bit and then water load my rod and then I'd just sling it forward. That worked really well. Uh, but for the most part, just a regular cast. And the, the other question that I'm assuming listeners are asking right now is about landing. You know, some of those larger fish, I think the fish that are caught have been between the 16 to 18 inch range. Um, the fights were spectacular. It was really, really strong fish. You know, I would kind of compare it to a 22 inch trout, a strong, hot rainbow trout. But the one that I caught in the surf, it might have been a 16 or so inch fish, 16, 17. That was a very strong fish. I thought it was going to be way bigger than he was. The rod, the rod handled it fine, but it took me a little while to bring it in because you know, what I was doing was just using the little swells and the waves to kind of help me bring the fish closer to shallower water. So that's a couple of my observations there. But I think you can catch the fish faster by bringing the rod sideways. I mm -hmm. think the cast, first of all, with a heavier fly... You really have to make sure your arc up is to 12 or 1 o'clock mm -hmm. and your forward cast doesn't go past um, 10. Don't reach yeah, going absolutely. forward because mm -hmm. when you reach going forward, the heavier flies dump. Mm -hmm. And that's when you really need to let the current pull it out. Mm -hmm. But when the current pulls it out, you miss 8 or 10 feet. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, you're not doing that. I'm not... I'm not saying you're doing that, mm -hmm. but you can do that mm -hmm. if you don't cast that forward cast correctly. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is on the fight, there's a fine line, I think, and I don't know what it is because I'm not an expert at Tenkara, but there's a fine line between letting this fish have its way with you in its environment. And its environment is seaweed, mm -hmm. which is going to tangle the line, barnacles, which is going to cut it off, and raging surf. So one minute, the fish is in the foam, and you rule the fish, because you can lift it with all the power of the rod. And the next minute, you got like 10 tons of, or 1,000, 100,000 gallons of water pulling out, and it's like, pulling out a lot faster than a four or five or a six knot current. And you be, you have to be prepared, not, not only about the fish, but to get pulled off your feet. Yeah. <laughs> and so at that point in time, you, you, you want to be really subtle about fight, about catching the fish in the white water and letting, getting the rod tip up and down like nymph fishing mm -hmm. and then you're letting it out but once you have it 
You want to pull it into the foam. If you can get foam, if you see foam, get the fish into the foam. Mm -hmm. But don't let it get into the surge going mm -hmm. out because one minute you got a four pound fish on, and the next minute you got a ten pound fish on. Absolutely, yeah. and it's like intense. Oh, very much. Yeah, that's and you're like true. concentrating on the next set of waves coming in, and you're going to get hosed. So you you're probably, gonna... so you probably know the the saying in trout fishing: foam is home. You know, because foam is where you know the food is going to be, and you want to cast. So I think the same can be said to saltwater fishing: foam is home. Because that's where you want to bring the fish to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's really tricky. That part of it's the trickiest part about Tenkara because the place that the place that you're going to have the most excitement and the most maybe productivity will be close in on the rocks, but it can be it could be the most dangerous and most alluring and the harder to land the fish and the hookup isn't anywhere near the beginning. <laughs> no, no. The beginning is like, yeah. the beginning is when you're holding it up, taking a picture of it, because the rest, <laughs> even getting rid of it is going to be some. That's true. Yeah, that's fun. That's the funnest part. Yeah. Now, I had a blast. So thanks so much, Harry, for talking to us about saltwater fishing with Tenkata rods. That's a... Uh, Completely new to me. I've been having a blast learning from you. Um, and uh, just an honor to have been invited to come and join you for some fishing here in Maine and New Hampshire. So thanks for, for your time. Well, you only have one thing left to do, and that's to come back. I am looking forward to it. Actually, I'm looking forward to tomorrow, first of all, because we have a, actually we have a day and a half of fishing left. Yep, so we'll day and a half happens. left, and uh, then you'll be enticed to come for June. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's really a June, June, July, September thing. It's not a. It's not like you can catch trout all the time. Yeah. Well, you just gotta know the tides and come and uh, slam. Sounds good to me. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Thanks, Harry. conversation with Nicole Silk from the River Network and I hope you'll take a minute to check out rivernetwork.org to see what they're doing and I'm also going to make sure to put a link to their website on tenkariose.com forward slash podcast. Today I'm excited to have here with me uh, Nicole Silk with uh, the River Network and this is an organization that I'm really excited about. I uh, started learning more about their mission, how they connect the dots with uh, conservation and stream restoration and all kinds of projects and uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit about what uh, what they do. So Nicole, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization? Great. Um, well, it's super um, wonderful to be here. I'm glad to have this conversation with you. And um, I, yeah, so I've been working in the world of, of water, uh, river conservation and water advocacy for Oh, a long time, probably about 25 years. Um, and uh, I've been with River Network for a little bit less than five years now. And, and part of the reason I was really excited to um, join the team at River Network was because of its focus on local. Um, we uh, empower folks at the local level to do more for their rivers, to get engaged, 
to connect with us and we provide them with resources, we provide them with access to experts. Um, we have a great annual conference called River Rally. And um, in my career in conservation, I've always found that the most sustainable solutions for our rivers are the ones that happen at the local level where there are people there to pay attention to what's going on with the river. You know, is it in bad shape? Is it in good shape? Um, they're the ones who sound the alarm um, when something happens, but they're also the ones to really be passionate about taking care of that place. And I was really impressed by the, the reach that you guys have. I think uh, when I first got introduced to your organization, I thought it was just going to be, you know, when you mentioned local, just like this little boulder, you know, organization that maybe looks after Boulder Creek. But once I started learning more and I got to meet you, um, I realized that you guys actually have really very large reach. Uh, tell us a little bit of perhaps a couple of numbers that actually impressed me in <laughs> terms of how many you know, what kinds of projects, how many people you guys mobilize, and how you kind of bring them all together. Absolutely. So our network is now over 6,000 strong. Um, and by 6,000 strong, I'm talking about organizations that are working at the local level all across the country. So if you can imagine, for those of you listening, a map of the United States that's filled with that dendritic structure of streams that flow into larger rivers that flow into basins. Across all of those, there are nonprofit organizations that are at the local level, and we connect them. That's part of what we do and what we have done for 30 years. So that's a little bit of the secret of River Network. We've been doing this for 30 years. Um, we were formed at a time where um, a number of leaders in the conservation community were concerned that there was no national organization that was really there for the grassroots um, level. Um, and that led to the establishment of River Network 30 years ago. This is our yearly anniversary and it's very exciting for us. Um, and uh, yeah, so over time our work has evolved from helping groups get uh, off the ground to um, now working with more established groups and helping them expand their work to include uh, engagement with everyone from the boating and the angling community to farmers and ranchers to how do you connect what's going on in the headwaters of streams all the way down through the cities and then all the way downstream to the ocean. So tell me about those members in your network because I, I think some of our listeners will probably recognize some of the names. Um, sure. Because I, I thought it was an interesting model. You guys are essentially, in my view, like a, a leadership organization that kind of helps really connect the dots for a lot of people and organizations. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the kinds of members that you have? Because I know you work with Trout Unlimited, for example. We do. We work with Trout Unlimited and their chapters. We consider them members of our network and that listing of over 6,000 organizations working at the local level. Same for some of the other national organizations that have local chapters or local presence, including the Nature Conservancy and American Rivers. But there are also really thousands of individual tiny organizations. Some of them are friends groups, say um, Friends of the Poudre River, or maybe there's a group in Washington on the Skagit. Those are all entities that are part of our network all the way along the line up to 
some of the statewide organizations and then some of the larger coalitions that are working to um, bring those smaller groups together for, for bigger impact. So one of the things that were uh, myself personally, uh, but also at Tenkara USA that we're very interested in is trying to inspire people to take direct action yeah. uh, when it comes to, you know, the places where they're fishing. You know, if we're extending or opening the doors for people to fly fish, we want to make sure that we, you know, they're going to start caring for the environment. And they, you know, you kind of want to show the path of how they can do that. So for example, stream cleanups are kind of a big thing that we do. Yeah. Um, so tell our listeners a little bit about how you guys kind of bring in, um, you know, the individual uh, to do some direct action work. What kinds of projects and how they can get involved perhaps? Well, we always figure that the best um, advocates for our rivers are going to be those people who are passionate about those places, right? So if you have an opportunity to fall in love with the river because you're fishing on it or because you're a boater or uh, because perhaps it's flowing through your backyard, that's great. Um, not everyone has that privilege. It really is a privilege. But for those of us who do, there's no better place to begin that journey towards uh, deeper engagement than with those people. Um, so we provide um, a number of opportunities through our larger network for people to get involved and for companies to make a difference too. Um, we support a series of community engagement events across the country where we're providing um, direct opportunities for people to engage, but also some signature programs with companies uh, as diverse as Anheuser-Busch and Coca-Cola and hopefully Tenkara and others um, who are also thinking about, you know, how do they forge that direct relationship with their consumer base to really have more of, a, of an important impact, a sustainable impact on the resources that are so fundamental to their business proposition. So tell, let's talk a little bit about stream cleanups because that was the topic of our conversation when we met last time. Um, you know, we do only you know, half a dozen cleanups here in Boulder Creek, very local, uh, but we definitely want to extend our reach and kind of start opening the doors uh, so that those people who are using our rods, they're thinking about helping clean up their stream a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys told me you, have a, had a, you helped a lot of people get engaged with river cleanups last year. How many people was it? Oh, yeah, it was actually, um, let's see, over 13,000 people were involved in the cleanup events that we sponsored over the last year. Um, that's just over the last year, right? So if you multiply that across numerous years, that's an awful lot of people for a pretty small organization. Um, and I think there are, um, there are many, many more opportunities to expand that model now that we know how to do it and we've been... Um, deploying that model in partnership with both cities and with different companies in different parts of the country. So whether that's here in Colorado where our headquarters are now or in other parts of the country we have partners through this national network um, that we can hook up with companies who care. Excellent. Uh, so what is the best way for our listeners to get involved? Uh, you know, it seems to me like I'm really excited about the work that you guys do and it seems to me like a lot of uh, uh, people once they find out about the kind of work you're doing and they go to your website, they're probably going to get very excited too. So how, how can people find your organization and uh, how can they get involved? 
That's super easy. You can go to www.rivernetwork.org. Um, when you go to the main um, page on our website, you can get to know our network. You can also see this national map that I'm talking about. You can click through it. You can find out who the local organizations are that are near you or are near a stream that you care about. Um, so we want to provide that direct relationship opportunity for you, but you can also support our work too. Excellent. I'll make sure to post a link on this podcast uh, webpage, you know, I think cardiosia.com forward slash podcast. Uh, and one last question, Nicole. So if somebody's going fishing, you know, this weekend um, or next weekend, uh, what do you think they can do to help uh, with the rivers? Uh, well, it's super fishing? easy, I would say. You know, bring a little bag with you. Just look around the spot where you're casting your line and see if you can pick up a few things. There's always either micro trash or sometimes more macro trash sitting right there next to you. It makes you feel good too. Everyone can make a difference. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Tenkara Cast. I hope you enjoyed this longer format podcast and that it got you to your destination through the workday, through uh, to your hike, uh, whatever you're, however you're listening to this podcast. I really enjoyed the fact that you're downloading it and listening. If you get a moment again, please give me a review. I uh, really enjoy that and I really appreciate it. And as always, I'd especially like to thank Nick Ogawa Takenobu. You can check out his music, which he lets us use in our videos and his podcast at takenobumusic.com. Till next time on the Tenkara Cast. <laughs>